When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. If people think the country's on the wrong track and are upset, it's usually really bad news for the party in power. The Democrats have a very difficult challenge on their hands when it comes to the midterms. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. I think there's a lot of pent-up demand for electing a woman, and I think 2022 could be the year of the woman. I see the demand that we have today as the baseline for the future. It means our economy is roaring back. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The White House says it has saved Christmas as supply chain issues haven't disrupted your Christmas gifts quite as much as expected, but they've still got a lot of challenges ahead on the economy, on their legislative agenda with the tax and spending bill upheld in the Senate, uh, and with the Omicron variant of the coronavirus. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick, co-hosting today with my Bloomberg government colleague, Emily Wilkins. We've got some great guests. We're going to talk to Congressman Tom Cole, Republican of Oklahoma, from Oklahoma, who has a key position funding the Department of Health and Human Services. We're also going to talk to Dr. Eric Topol, professor of molecular medicine at the Scripps Research Institute on what the Biden administration should be doing in addition to all their recent announcements. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shianzano and Rick Davis uh, are with us as well as our key all-star panel. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick, co-hosting today with Emily Wilkins while Joe is out. Very excited to get started at the top of the hour with Congressman Tom Cole. He's a Republican from Oklahoma. He is the top Republican on the House Appropriations Subcommittee that covers labor, health and human services, and education, a lot of major funding priorities, as well as the top Republican on the Rules Committee. Congressman, very glad to have you with us. I want to start with Omicron, uh, especially because of the recent announcements by the White House about trying to ramp up uh, vaccine capacity, testing capacity, hospital capacity, and yet we didn't see anything uh, sent to Congress. Do you, do you think that the legislative branch is going to have to act to provide more resources to respond to the increasing case count? And, and could that actually be something that would happen in a bipartisan way? Uh, my guess is yes. I actually had a discussion several weeks ago before Omicron became quite so uh, uh, big on the landscape with uh, uh, the Secretary of Health and, and Human Services, uh, Secretary Becerra, my old friend, former colleague. Hmm. And he intimated at that time uh, that he thought we probably would need to do something early in the new year uh, on coronavirus. I think if you actually look at uh, what's happening, that's probably, um, uh, you know, spot on. If anything, uh, this has come on us a little bit faster than he could have anticipated at the time. 
Right. So, yeah, I think so. And it ought to be bipartisan. I, you know, other than the American Rescue Plan earlier uh, this year, where the Democrats chose to do a partisan approach, you know, I always remind people we did multiple bills in 2020, all of which uh, were bipartisan, amounting to over $4 trillion. So this is a, an area that we have worked on together. It was only the Democratic decision to sort of go it alone early this year that changed that pattern. My hope would be on something like this, we could find common ground and move forward. Well, Congressman, uh, you say that uh, the ability to find common ground, but I know that there are concerns, even within the Democratic caucus, for moving another large spending bill. And we certainly heard those concerns from Republicans last year when Democrats moved their legislation. What exactly are lawmakers going to be able to come together and do to address Omicron? Well, I, you know, I don't want to get ahead of myself. It would be up to the administration to present its proposal and the Republicans to respond. Uh, the things I can see are areas where hospitals are being, uh, you know, overstretched. For instance, we we know that uh, Omicron uh, doesn't uh, isn't quite as serious uh, in terms of infections per person. Your individual risk isn't as high to go to the hospital. But it infects so many more that the sheer numbers may well be uh, the same as we've seen in other surges, uh, even though the, the variant's not quite as virulent uh, personally. But, it, again, it's, it transmits itself so much more easily you could end up with the same number of cases. So I think looking at that, I think the, the administration certainly got behind on testing. I think that's an area where they probably dropped the ball. They felt a little more secure than we were in retrospect, and they're scrambling now to make up. But regardless, we, look, we're going to look at these things seriously. Now, again, they might be able to repurpose some of the money they have. I can tell you we have states out there uh, that are sitting on piles of money uh, that have not been spent. We sent out way too much money uh, earlier this year in the American Rescue Plan. That's something that I would recommend the administration look at as to whether some of that money can either be repurposed and reclaimed or what hasn't gone out the door yet, redirected. So, Congressman, if there were to be a supplemental, uh, or potentially this could just be folded into a broader bill, I, I have my eye on the February 18th deadline to fund the government. Do you think that is a legislative vehicle for potentially more funds related to, as you said, hospital capacity and that kind of thing? I do. Uh, you know, and that, But that presumes that we get to a deal by February the 18th. And right. One of my big concerns is while we have had now two continuing resolutions or extensions of funding uh, at last year's level, uh, the reality is there hasn't been very much in the way of serious negotiation. And I'm not going to point fingers at anybody, but I think, uh, forget the individuals, I think part of this has been the Democratic preoccupation uh, with Build Back Better has sort of put everything else on hold. And I always remind people, there's actually more money at stake and more issues at stake in the normal appropriations process uh, than there is in something like Build, Build Back Better or any of these other special spending bills. And that's the day-to-day -day business of government. That's what we ought to be uh, focusing on. And finally, it has to be done in a bipartisan way. We can't do reconciliation for the normal expenditures of government. So we've both wasted a lot of time by not negotiating in good faith or seriously on that, and frankly, I think by poisoning the well a little bit by this sort of democratic go-alone attitude that we've seen in the opening year of the Biden administration.
Well, it seems they may kill more time focusing on that as they have gotten backed up with Senator Manchin's opposition. If that stretches into the new year and, and who knows when they can r- resolve those issues, what do you think the chances are that there's no government funding deal and we see a full year stopgap measure? Uh, I think the longer it goes, the more likely that is to happen, unfortunately. I think that's a tragedy, by the way. Uh, it's a, it'll be a political victory for the Republicans. It'll be a second year of Donald Trump's last negotiated budget. Uh, and there are a lot of my colleagues that would welcome that. And, and politically, it's fine. Uh, but if you believe we need additional funding in the defense area, which we certainly do, given what uh, China and the Russians are doing, uh, and to maintain the pace of what had been laid out by Secretary Mattis to remodernize and rebuild the military, then you got to have a deal. And frankly, uh, you know, there's some lessons learned in terms of public health uh, and so, honestly, very good proposals in the president's original budget, uh, you know, for things like additional money for NIH, additional money for Center for Disease Control, additional money for something called ARPA-H, or mm-hmm. a sort of mm-hmm. high-risk, high-reward, long-shot, uh, you know, biomedical research effort to, to bring immediate results in a variety of areas. Those are all very good proposals by the president. Uh, frankly, I was a little bit disappointed the Democrats in the House didn't simply adopt the president's proposal. They actually pared it back because they had other spending priorities. And I I would tell you that's been one of the disappointments of the year. I think public health uh, has not gotten uh, the emphasis it should have gotten from Congress. Well, Congressman, actually, if I'm... If I may, I actually want to ask, uh, per public health, I I did want to ask you very quickly on vaccines. We saw a polling last month from the Kaiser Family Foundation that showed for every one Democrat who was unvaccinated, there were three Republicans who were unvaccinated. Does your party need to do a better job about talking about the vaccines? I think the entire country needs to do a better job. It wasn't helpful when the president and the vice president, when they were running for their respective positions, said they wouldn't uh, trust the vaccinations. Uh, as long as Trump was in office. I was actually heartened yesterday to see the president actually give the former administration a little bit of credit for a change. Look, what happened in Warp Speed is a national triumph of historic proportions, uh, and we all ought to be pushing it. But, look, I think this has been partisanized too much, and uh, I think uh, Democrats to some degree have enjoyed doing it. Some of my Republican colleagues have as well. The, The science here is pretty simple. You're seven times less likely to get coronavirus if you're vaccinated. You're 35 times less likely to go to the hospital, and you're 40 times less likely to die. So the case for vaccination is overwhelming, uh, and we ought to be making it every place we can. But but I do think if you try and force it down people's throats uh, after it's already been partisanized, then mm-hmm. it becomes uh, you know that much more contentious and difficult to win the argument. Mm-hmm. The argument becomes about government forcing you as opposed to the efficacy of the vaccine itself, which is, uh, I think, without question, uh, you know, been proven uh, to be a a marvelous, marvelous tool. Well, Congressman, I also wanted to ask you a little bit. You were the former chairman for the Republican campaign's arm. And so I know that, you know, you you have a head for midterms and how things tend to shake out there. Uh, When we saw Glenn Youngkin win the Virginia governor's race, he did so by keeping former President Trump at arm's length. Is that something that Republicans running in swing districts in 2022 need to emulate? Yeah, look, it really depends on where you're at and how you position yourself over time. There's unquestionably places where the president 
is a tremendous asset, uh, you know, and uh, he's demonstrated that. Frankly, most of the polling now shows him beating uh, President uh, Biden if, if there were a rematch. So I think, uh, you know, you let individual campaigns make that that decision. But uh, he's an important factor on the trail. The reality is the wind is at our back this year, not in our face as it was in 2020. Uh, we're on offense. They're on defense. They're in total control hard to escape responsibility when you have that. So it's going to be an awfully good year. History would tell you that. The polling tells you that. Frankly, just looking at candidate recruitment and funding, uh, which are very good measurements of what enthusiasm is and of retirement, right. uh, looks to be a, a really outstanding year for uh, Republicans. And frankly, I'd be surprised if Republicans are not in the majority uh, You know, in the second two years of the right. Biden administration. Well, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you so much, Congressman Tom Cole, Republican of Oklahoma. Coming up, we're going to talk to Dr. Eric Topol, who knows all about the virus. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick with Emily Wilkins. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. This is Emily Wilkins here with my Bloomberg government colleague, Jack Fitzpatrick. We are counting down the days to Christmas. And while we were warned earlier this year that supply chain bottlenecks and shipping backlogs could mean fewer presents under the tree, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki had some big news at the press briefing today. We've saved Christmas, and that is because President Biden recognized this challenge early, acted as an honest broker to bring key stakeholders together, and focused on addressing practical problems across the global supply chain. That's right. You heard it here first. They (laughs) saved Christmas. Wow, good news. But seriously, the White House says that, that they have taken steps to the to address the supply chain backlogs and that they are those steps are working, that there are still cargo ships waiting off the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach, but there aren't as many as they were previously, and that people uh, are actually, you know, that they're getting their Christmas gifts. Uh, President Biden met today with some CEOs from uh, companies including FedEx and Gap and, and widely had some some an optimistic outlook. But to bring a dose of reality, we are going to welcome our excellent panel with Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. And and Jeannie, I'll just start with you. I know there was a lot of hand-wringing about how the supply chain would impact this holiday season, but is it really fair to call this a win right now? Uh, Emily, that may be my favorite clip that you've played in a long time. I love that one. <laughs> um, Joe Biden and the administration did save Christmas. They're taking a bit of a victory lap there. Um, you know, listen, I think that they do have a reason to be upbeat about this. You You know, a few weeks ago, we might have thought things would look a lot worse today than they seem to. So they are feeling positive on this. But of course, there are strong, you know, sort of wins ahead, if you will, and not the least of which are the numbers when it comes to Omicron. I'm just looking at numbers in my own state of New York, where we are breaking the single day record for cases by 30 percent over the previous mark. That's the fifth time in a week. So, you know, there are strong wins ahead because, of course, what God us into this mess with the supply chain to begin with was the pandemic. And we're certainly not out of that yet. But they do have reason to be optimistic. And, you know, they're celebrating a bit and they've just got to be careful not to oversell it, I think. Yeah, Rick, what do you think about the timeline, especially, you know, to what extent does a new variant increase the odds that the global supply chain issues will just get stuck and none of this is entirely solvable in the near future? 
Yeah, I, I must call bah humbug on the White House saving <laughs> Christmas. Um, and I don't want to be the Grinch in this crowd, but, um, you know, we, we it's more than just the current supply chain problems related to COVID, right? I'm, and mm-hmm. obviously, uh, anything like the Omicron variant slowing things down, you know, just exacerbates an, uh, the ultimate problem. But the real problem is the lack of investment we've made over time in infrastructure in our ports. China has the 10 largest ports in the world. They get it. Their economy is dependent upon uh, their ability to move the supply chain. They've made it a priority. We now have an infrastructure bill that gives us an opportunity to do exactly the same thing for our port systems and our infrastructure that China's been doing for the last 25 years. That's the real play, not what's going to be affected by Christmas. And I hope all the little kitties get their get their presents. Um, you know, Santa's got some work to do. But um, – but the country has some work to do in getting its supply chain back up and running, and that's investment in the infrastructure of our countries. Well, Rick, I, I am interested here. I mean, you mentioned the infrastructure bill. You mentioned the U.S. catching up to other countries. How long is that going to take, though? Because we all know that, you know, simply Joe Biden signing a bill into law does not bring immediate changes overnight. Oh, you're exactly right, Emily. It's a it's a long haul, right? I mean, and many of these projects, you know, have been on the planning boards for a long time, but have lacked funding. And so now that there potentially could be some money in the pipeline, uh, some of those projects can start to, to happen. It's not like we don't know what the problem is. We've just not been invested in it. So yeah, sure. I think it's, you know, five to 10 years, but, but, you know, it, in, in an effort where you're trying to be competitive around the world, You've got to make those investments, and they're not short-term. We've missed the opportunity in the past. I mean, we've been talking about infrastructure for a decade, and not a thing had been done up until this year. So maybe the greatest advance that uh, the Biden administration can take credit for at the end of it uh, years and years later is going to be the fact that they got this bipartisan infrastructure bill done, and 10 years from now may be the best time to really take that victory lap. Well, I don't think I can accuse Rick of being a Grinch just because those were actually good points. Uh, I was thinking about it. But, Jeannie, what, on a, a more positive note, what has worked, at least in the short term? That, that is a good point by Rick on the broader infrastructure issues. But was, for example, getting the Port of Los Angeles to switch to 24-7 operations, were, were there any little minor victories that actually worked? Uh, yes, there was. And and I'm going to accuse Rick of being a Grinch. I think he just said we have to wait 10 whole years to enjoy our Christmas, Rick Davis. Um, but I, I, I do think they, the, the administration working with the private sector, and we saw that today, has taken steps to do what it can. You know, we all know that the abilities, what the administration could do is a bit limited on this, but they've done a, at least taken steps to do what they can do. And I think we're going to see more positive things ahead. But Rick is absolutely right. He's singing Joe Biden's tune. Let's move forward on infrastructure. That's why the administration has been saying this. So the Grinch Rick there should be working for the administration and making this case. (laughs) And, you know, Jack, President Biden had another meeting today with various advisors from CEOs. We've seen him do this before. We've seen him go to the ports. We've mentioned before that obviously this supply chain issue is a global one. It's not fully in his control, Uh, but it seems like this is something the White House is definitely messaging more on. Yeah, they had to rely on nudging private sector actors. They couldn't solve this with a bill or an executive order all at once, but they did try to make a show of trying. Well, coming up next, we'll be talking about the Omicron variant with Dr. Eric Topol. I'm Emily Wilkins here with Jack Fitzpatrick. This is Bloomberg. 
Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Boston, Bloomberg 1061, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. Is it enough when the president says the federal government is going to supply half a billion take-home tests to Americans uh, around the country? Is it enough to say that uh, we can spend time with our family because 200 million of us are vaccinated? Coming up, we're going to talk to Dr. Eric Topol, professor of molecular medicine at the Scripps Research Institute. He wrote a piece on what Biden should have done yesterday. Very excited to talk to him. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick, co-hosting with Emily Wilkins today. Joining us now is Dr. Eric Topol, professor of molecular medicine at the Scripps Research Institute. He wrote a piece on what President Biden should have said in his announcement on the response to the Omicron variant and rising cases of the coronavirus. Dr. Topol, thank you so much for joining us. There are a lot of bullet points in what you wrote. Uh, People absolutely should read it on your substack. I want to cover as much of the substack as possible while we have you. Uh, But in particular, you say that 500 million take-home tests is not enough. We should be talking about billions. Uh, Would you care to expand on that? Is is it possible and why and how long do we need to be supplying how many of these take-home tests around the country? Right. Well, good to be with you, Jack and Emily. The uh, half, uh, half a billion tests won't get us very far, especially with Omicron coming through, and we're not going to see these tests until sometime next month. But unless this pandemic really quiets down, we need frequent tests uh, at every household, Uh, and we've got 330 million people in in the U.S. So uh, we need several billion to get this right, and we're about a year behind from when these tests were validated. And I should also point out that they're used in many other countries, validated, freely available, we're just way behind in getting this going. 
You know, Dr. Topol, I just want to dig in on that a little bit more. I mean, why why are we behind? Is this the Biden administration not being cognizant enough of how the needs for testing would change as we got closer to the holidays? Or is it is there some other uh, individual or organization here who kind of dropped the ball on this one? Well, I wouldn't put it on the Biden administration per se, but, you know, certainly the FDA has been involved and it's only approved a limited number uh, of rapid tests for home use. And that's very different than Europe, where there's more than 70 tests. We have a handful. But also, we have very few. You can't get them. Uh, and this is, and they're still very expensive. You know, when it was announced several weeks ago that the price would come down, that was from like $12 to $8 per test. Well, you can't do those frequently, uh, and you can't even get them. So, you know, part of it is the responsibility that we don't have enough companies and competition. We haven't scaled production. It hasn't been a priority. You know, it just hasn't gotten the type of uh, emphasis that it should have. And this goes back to May 2020. There already were 50 companies in May 2020 that were in the queue. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's you know, a year and a half later. Right. So, Dr. Topol, one one other thing that really popped out to me on your list of suggestions uh, was your number three, no airplane passengers who are not fully vaccinated or having medical documentation for why that is not the case, uh, such as is the policy in Canada and other countries. Uh, that that sounds like something that would get some political pushback potentially, but can you, can, can you make the case for us on no airplane passengers who are not fully vaccinated? Right. Well, this is, of course, as I mentioned in the post, the policy in Canada, as well as many other countries, you can't board a plane right. unless you're fully vaccinated. And if you aren't, you need to have a medical excuse. Uh, so it's the safety of everyone on the plane. You know, many hours, uh, this is where it's already been documented that infections can be transmitted uh, this is the the minimum we can do to assure safety for everyone who's traveling. And obviously right now in the holidays with Omicron circulating, this takes it to a whole nother level. Yeah, as someone who's uh, going to be planning on boarding a plane a little bit later this week, um, definitely some some food for thought there as you not just even get on the plane, but some of these airports are so packed these days. Uh, mm -hmm. Dr. Topol, right. we also reported this morning uh, that the Biden administration is going to expect four million courses of COVID-19 treatments. That's going to include the COVID pills. That's going to include uh, various uh drugs that doctors can give to patients who come to them and already have COVID. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how, if at all, this might change the course of the pandemic. Well, the pill, Paxlovid, that got uh, green light today by FDA is the most exciting thing that's happened in the pandemic since vaccines. Hmm. It's extraordinary because hmm. it doesn't rely on our immune system, uh, which Omicron has particularly challenged. Uh, it's highly effective. So the blister pack taken over five days not only brings down the viral load in your upper airway, so you would be transmitting much less by more than tenfold pretty quickly, but it reduces hospitalizations and deaths by almost 90%. So we've needed a simple way to get at this virus and all the viruses, not just, you know, alpha or delta, but including Omicron. We have it now. The problem we have is insufficient supply. 
That was also on my list. This should have been a Defense Production Act or some similar strategy so we don't rely on just one company to make the pills. This is a very simple, small molecule to produce at scale. And all we have to do is let other companies lose. So the president said yesterday, if you're vaccinated, it's okay for you to gather indoors for the holidays with your family. Uh, Do you agree with that or disagree? Well, that's a rosy picture. Uh, If you're triple vaccinated or if you're less than four months from two vaccines and you have a rapid test just before gathering and you have a a place of gathering where you have windows open, doors that are ventilation, air filtration, CO2 monitoring. I mean, you can make it really safe, but most people aren't going to do that. But certainly with with high levels of vaccination and rapid tests that are negative for each person, that would be a a strong way to assure safety. Thank you so much, Uh, Dr. Eric Topol. Really, really great insights from someone who knows the details uh, of how the response to these kinds of variants works. uh, Work. I'm I'm really interested, especially in his uh, comments on if 500 million is not nearly enough. He he believes this is going to be long enough so that we need billions. Coming up, we're going to go back to the panel. Jeannie Sheenzano and Rick Davis uh, walk us through the response. Uh, I'm Jack Fitzpatrick here with my Bloomberg government colleague, Emily Wilkins. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. All right. Tell me if this one sounds familiar. At a briefing of the White House COVID response team this afternoon, CDC Director Rochelle Walensky explained that people should wear masks regardless of their vaccination status in public indoor settings where transmissions are high. And I would encourage people to take an at-home COVID-19 test ahead of time to help protect you and your family and friends who may be at greater risk of COVID-19 or severe outcomes. The constant testing, the wearing masks inside. Jack, I I thought that we were past this point in the pandemic. Nope, clearly not. And I think there's uh, a little bit of political wear and tear, as you you heard from the president yesterday, saying, look, there are vaccinated people. It is possible to see your family. Sometimes you hear a a little bit of a different tone from the president compared to somebody like Dr. Walensky. It's not in direct conflict, but it it makes it a little difficult to play up the political upsides sometimes when this just drags on and on. Yeah, and for President Biden to really try to claim that there is indeed a win here, especially I, I know that this isn't an issue everywhere in the country, but I know in D.C., in New York, in Baltimore, people are scrambling to get COVID tests and they just aren't there. It's very difficult. I spent my Saturday afternoon going to four different CVSs to see how many I could get. They limited how many you could buy. You could only get four. I could only find one with any. And there were groups of people at each one asking if they had any take-home tests. Three said no, they had none. Well, this is a depressing conversation. Maybe we can find some Christmas (laughs) cheer with our Bloomberg Politics contributors, Gene Shanzano and Rick Davis. Um, Rick, I I just kind of want to get your thoughts here at this point as we face the holiday season. I mean, I I feel like we try and tie everything back to Biden and his approval ratings and how Americans are feeling. But what really is the mood as everyone is considering the new Omicron variant against uh, what the travel that they plan to do in the next several weeks? 
Well, I, you know, I can speak to the people I talk to, and, and, and there's a lot of concern, right? I mean, this I, we're hitting some level of intense increase in Omicron spreading all throughout the country right at the time of the holidays. And, you know, to, to, to coin the, the song, I'll be home for Christmas, I'm not getting on an airplane. I mean, you know, it's the kind of thing where there's enough fear out there that this thing is transmissible, even to those people like us who have gotten both our shots and our, and our booster that uh, it, it'll keep it'll keep people from uh, from wanting to venture out, uh, and of course there are those who don't care, right? And they've they've been uh, the ones who uh, have really added to the numbers of increase in Omicron because they refuse to get shots, they refuse to get a booster, uh, and they're the ones uh, uh, that that I think don't have the fear of travel, and that's how this thing spreads so quickly. Well, one little uh, maybe bit of, of positive news or, or a look ahead to what could be positive news, I, I want to throw it back to what Congressman Cole said at the beginning of the hour. Again, Tom Cole is the top Republican on the, the Committee for Funding Health and Human Services, and, and I thought it was pretty notable that he said we could see a supplemental spending bill early next year, potentially, that could potentially have, have bipartisan support backing up uh, what the president has talked about for, for pushing back against Omicron. Uh, what, what, Jeannie, what do you think the, the legislative outlook is on this? Obviously, there, there, partisanship has been an issue on so many things. Is it possible to have a bipartisan legislative push to respond to this as much as necessary? I thought that was so fascinating about your interview with Representative Cole, because that's, you know, one of the first times at least I've heard, and I was taking notes here to, from a Republican saying that they could imagine in the new year, not to mention a midterm election year, supporting right. in a bipartisan partisan way, supplemental spending. And he specifically mentioned to address issues that the president talked about yesterday, if I got this down correctly, testing, for instance, right. hospital capacity. And he said his inclination was to, you know, wait and see what the White House put forward and what they sort of said that they needed. And there may be support for that. So I, I think that's a very good sign. Of course, we're going to have to wait and see if that spirit keeps up. And I think that, you know, part of that is going to depend on what we hear early in January, not only about the Omicron and about the pandemic and those numbers, but also about the economic numbers and inflation, whether there is still sort of a, you know, sort of an inclination to go that way. One other thing I noted, he talked also about repurposing, reclaiming and redirecting money not spent from the American Rescue Plan. And I think that's something that we need to, you know, really talk a lot about more. Yeah, Rick, I want to get your thoughts on this as well. I mean, you're the one who's worked with the Republicans, understands the mindset of the party. Uh, really, I just remember back in March when they were passing this next level of funding uh, for, to address COVID-19. The refrain that you heard from Republicans is we've pumped so much money into the economy already. We can't do this again. I mean, do you think that there really is an appetite to do something on Omicron? I think if, I think if it is important to... Uh, have those resources to fight uh, COVID, whether it's Omicron or the next version of Omicron. Uh, yeah, Republicans will do it. They've done it historically uh, three times in a row, and uh, they want to they want to stamp this thing out. That Republicans in the Senate and the House, like Tom Cole, uh, do not want uh, this public health prob problem to affect our economy and our security. And so they're on board with that. The, the problem is we're we're acting too little, too late. I mean. Joe Biden, president of the United States, just went in front of America yesterday and said, oh, I'm going to tackle this thing hard. And we just heard from Dr. Topol, who said oh, it wasn't hard enough. There were like a whole list of things that we should have been doing that we're not doing today. And, 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 and Omicron will probably peak by the time 
Congress even reconvenes at the end of January. So right. who are we kidding here? I mean, like the the need for these tests are today. The need for the shots are today. Um, uh, you know, and, and so uh, I, I'm afraid we're in for kind of a, a tough holiday season of a pandemic that's run run out of control. Rick, what do you think about Dr. Topol's suggestion that in the U.S. we should not let people on airplanes unless they're fully vaccinated or have a medical exemption. That struck me as, you know, other countries have done it, but it struck me as something that would probably get a lot of pushback from Republicans almost in line with the, you know, vaccine mandates have have become a huge talking point on the campaign trail. How would that play in the U.S.? Is there the political willpower for that, Rick? You know, I think it's dangerous, right? Because as you pointed out, I mean, Claiming victory or claiming success against this pandemic has been pretty elusive long term. And, and, and yet what I thought was uh, really impressive about Dr. Uh, Topol's recommendations is they just make enormous amount of sense. Why would you let somebody get on an airplane who is not vaccinated? Other countries have figured that out. They've done it. It's not punishing people. It's science. It's the reason these things, uh, these viruses are spreading is because people are spreading them on places like um, uh, like airplanes. And so uh, it, if, if indeed we know, and we know by the science, that people who are unvaccinated are the problem, then don't let unvaccinated people take advantage of these services. And I think certainly the people who will actually cheer are the airline executives who are required to let these folks get on the airplanes and they can't stop them and they need government oversight to be able to help them do that. Yeah, it's interesting. We've spent so much time in the last couple of days, and I think rightly so, talking about tasks, tests, talking about masking. But really, at the end of the day, we've heard from experts that it's going to finally wind up with the people who are vaccinated. And right now, only 61 percent of the U.S. has been fully vaccinated. Uh, Jeannie, I'm wondering what you think now needs to be done. I mean, there have been incentives. There were all those lotteries, the giveaways. There was the stick. There was the, you know, people being banned from bars and restaurants and all the other type of thing, losing their jobs. How do you get through to the 40 percent of Americans who haven't been vaccinated yet? Well, I think President Biden um, it took a, a stab at that yesterday when he talked about and praised the prior administration, the prior president, something he hasn't done and something that Representative Cole t- talked about in your interview with him. I think that's a small step in the right direction. You know, on your point about these incentives here in New York City, we have the mayor giving $100 out now if you go and get your third booster shot. But I think one thing we have to keep in mind in this whole conversation is good science does make good politics, whether you're Republican or Democrat, you need this pandemic to be behind you. And that requires following the science. So if it's something like moving from talking about being vaccinated from two shots to three, unless you're with the J&J, we need to do that. And I think that's where the president has to be. And that's quite frankly, where Republicans have to be as well. Otherwise, our ability to put this behind us and address all the other issues we have from inflation to the debt and everything else is going to be elusive. So I I think that's something that we're really going to have to sort of grapple with in this country, not to mention the fact that in our country, liberties are not absolute. You don't have a right to fly if you endanger other people. That's just the reality. Well, when I look at the list of things the White House wants to do to expand capacity on testing, hospitals, and vaccine, it struck me that vaccine capacity hasn't seemed to be the issue. It's vaccine willingness. Rick, is there actually that much, uh, very briefly, that the government needs to do on vaccine capacity? 
Yeah, I, I, I think people can get a shot if they want it, and it's free. And so that's not, that part has actually worked. I think that where's the big public affairs campaign by the government that you turn on the TV and you cannot not see a commercial about why right. it's important to get vaccinated? We run all these crazy commercials during the election season. People get sick to death of them, and they go vote. Well, why aren't we employing exactly the same strategy to get people vaccinated? That's a really great question, Rick, and we're going to have to leave it there. Uh, thank you again to our Bloomberg panel, uh, Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis, as well as Congressman Tom Cole and Dr. Eric Topol. Joe Matthew is still going to be off tomorrow, so Jack and I will be back. Uh, this is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.